I love the early medieval period. In this part of the world, it's just so interesting. The place names, the finds, the stonework. It's like putting together a jigsaw. This is 100 Years, 100 Objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums. I'm Rachel Roberts, the Collections Registrar for Lancaster City Museums, and today we'll be looking at the stories behind another object from our collections as we celebrate 100 years of our museums. In today's episode, we're delving into a little-known period in the history of this area, the 9th century, with a beautifully decorated object that gives us a rare glimpse into Anglo-Saxon life. Today's object is a 9th century mount. The mount is silver and just under 5 centimetres across at its widest point. It's round with four protrusions sighted equally around the outside edge. The circular section is divided into four quarters by a cross design. Within each quarter is an animal design. Each of the four animals, which are probably intended to represent something like a dog, looks back over its shoulder with its tail curved over its body. Its body curves to fit perfectly into the quarter of the design that it inhabits. The metal is still quite shiny, although the edges and background to the designs are likely to have been black when it was new, and have now lost their pigment, appearing a rusty brown. The back does not have a design, and appears unfinished with no pin or clip. This is because this object was a mount of some kind, probably attached with small rivets to a horse's leather harness. We spoke to Carolyn Dalton, Museum's Development Manager at Lancaster City Museums, to find out more about this beautiful object. She started by telling us something about how the mount was made and decorated. The mount dates from the 9th century, so the 800s, and it's a really typical Anglo-Saxon ornament from the time. The white metal on the front of the mount is actually a silver alloy. It's not silver, it's 93% silver, 5% copper, 1.5% gold and 1% lead. And it's been inlaid by something called niello, which was really popular at the time. And that's an alloy of silver copper and lead sulfide which was combined through heat and then beaten into sheets and then ground up into a fine powder and stored down the hollow center of goose quills and then they used the goose quills you know sort of like writing to actually apply it to the surface very carefully very delicately it was then heated to fuse it to the surface and in appearance at that point it looks black you polish it up so the silver and the black really complement each other but the backing plate of the mount is bronze and this probably gave it a little more rigidity while being cheaper than making it with a lot of silver it's probably a horse harness mount nobody quite knows if it was it obviously belongs to someone extremely well off because horses weren't that common in Anglo-Saxon England, let alone having a silver harness decorations. Horses were used for riding, hunting, fighting, transport as well, but not really for ploughing. Oxen were used for ploughing. The style of the mount is known as the Trewiddle style after a find near Trewiddle in Cornwall. Animals in 9th century art are usually shown looking back over their shoulders. But in the Truiddle style, the decorations also usually broken into separate sections and the animals have characteristic double nicks or lines on their bodies. 
This mount's divided into four by a cross, which also would have been a religious symbol, and the four animals are arranged in two pairs. It's hard to know what sort of animal they are. Definitely something large and fierce, maybe a dog or a wolf or a lion. Truiddle style is found all over England and was really popular, very Anglo-Saxon. So where was the mount found? And what do we know about what that area would have been like? The mount was found near Borick, just to the northeast of Carnforth. The place named Borick actually means a Berwick, which was a specialist area of barley production and possibly brewing, because that's, that's one of the things you use barley for. From around the 6th to the 7th century to the 9th century, the 800s, Borick was probably part of a large multiple estate where some settlements had a specialist function and the surplus of the whole estate went towards supporting the lord. So these larger estates are known at the moment as shires. In other parts of the country, that name still persists. You've got Hallamshire near Sheffield. However, in the 9th century, these estates started to break up and individual manors started to be formed. This is when you get the sort of formation of villages as we know them today. So Berwick's changed their role at this point to become an outlying administrative centre of an estate made up of several villages. In the case of Borick, it was part of a small but important lordship that was based at Beetham. And when Edward the Confessor died in 1066, it belonged to Tosti, who was the Northumbrian Earl, brother of King Harold, who died fighting William the Conqueror at the Battle of Hastings. Although we'll never know exactly who owned the mound, Carolyn told us about the sort of person it might have been. As we've already said, the mount would have been owned by someone very well off who could afford a horse with silver harness decorations. So this might have been a local lord or a member of their family. It might have been a churchman or woman. As the crow flies, Borick is less than a mile and a half from the Moot Hall, which was just to the north of Carnforth, where the local community would have gathered to make decisions, pass judgment and exchange news. That moot hall is now under where the railway line and the M6 cross, unfortunately. It's also only just over one and a half miles, again as the crow flies, from the prosperous village of Wharton, which in the medieval period was one of the richest church holdings in Lancashire. The evidence we have shows that in the period up to the middle of the 800s, the church was, was probably pretty prosperous in the Loon Valley, and we've got early medieval sculpture from the 9th century at Lancaster, at Heesham, at Holton, at Gressingham and at Hornby. The area is also likely to have been used for horse rearing and we've got evidence of this from the later Middle Ages. There is also the possibility that the mount was part of Viking loot because this is that period in time. The very late 8th century saw the arrival of Viking raids into the British Isles. We asked Carolyn to expand a little bit on what was going on in the wider area around the 9th century, and why fires like this are so important to piecing together what is a little understood period in history. The difficulty again with the North West is that nothing's written about it, so no charters survive, 
there are just a few odd mentions in, in other chronicles. So this makes what we have remaining so much more important. And the things that we have remaining are things like religious stonework that can be found in local churches and also metal detected finds like this one. And I should say that we do owe a real debt of gratitude to all the responsible metal detectorists who've reported their finds through the Portable Antiquities Scheme. And it really helps us to build up a picture of what's happening in this area and so that the museum collections can tell that story. The area that was to become Lancashire seems to have become part of the Anglian Kingdom of Northumbria in the 7th century, during the 600s, certainly by the 670s. And the Loon Valley region would have been used largely for pastoral farming and dairy farming was also probably a bit of a speciality and that was, again, quite a prestigious thing. So unlike the rest of Lancashire, the southern part of the Old Hundred of Lonsdale, which is south of the Sands, seems to have been more anglicised than the rest of what became Lancashire. And there are very few place names that do survive from this time under the British rule after the Romans left. Places like Triels, Priestall and Eccleston and Pendle do have a strong British element to them, but you just don't find those in the Loon Valley. In the 8th century, politically, there was a lot of instability in Northumbria and there were 16 kings who ruled over Northumbria during that, that period. Many were deposed. There stopped being a royal line. Many came from the aristocracy. But the 9th century did see a return to some sort of stability until the Viking Great Army turned up in 865. They attacked York in 866-7, ended the line of Northumbrian kings and the Great Army settled in 876 in what became the Viking Kingdom of York. But that was mainly over the east side of the country, over the east side of the Pennines. Over here on the Irish Sea coast, we were still much more influenced by Ireland and, and the Irish Sea. And the Irish Sea region came to be dominated by Vikings from Norway. They settled in the Hebrides, Galloway, the Isle of Man, and in 841, they settled in Dublin and founded a long fort, which was a Viking defended area there, which became a thriving trading town. And that's the real start of Dublin as the city we know it today. And they also attacked Anglesey in North Wales, you know, just for good measure. So it's really hard to imagine that they didn't come to the Lancashire coast, probably raided here, almost certainly will have traded here. Traditionally, the main period when the Vikings settle in this area is from 902, when many of them get kicked out of Dublin. Certainly the warriors get kicked out of Dublin and seem to have settled in this area. This mount may have been looted locally or brought in at that point. There's one final mystery about this mount regarding the fact that it's made of silver, at a time when if you looked at other evidence, you might think silver was quite rare. Carolyn gave us one possible solution to this mystery, and told us why mysteries like this are one of the reasons she loves the history of the 9th century. It's really hard to tell how wealthy Northumbria was at the time. The silver content in the coinage had been reduced to practically nothing. Small value coins or stikers may have been deliberately produced to help trade to flourish, because you could do small value transactions with them. It wasn't that there wasn't a reasonable amount of silver within the country, as you can tell from these harness decorations and silver strap ends. So it may be that the aristocracy and probably the church as well had so much silver that there wasn't much left over for the coinage. You know, it's just it's just speculation. I love the early medieval period. In this part of the world, it's just so interesting to try and piece together all the little scraps of information. It's like putting together a jigsaw, the place names, the finds, the stonework, and also the landscape and trying to sort of see where places are situated, what you can see from where. 
The mounts a lovely object, perfectly Anglo-Saxon, but produced at that time where most of the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms are going to fall to the Vikings or an expanding Wessex. And by the end of the 9th century, that was the time of Alfred the Great and the time when England really became to take shape as a possibility. Alfred was the first to use the phrase Anglo-Saxon when he called himself Rex Anglo-Saxonum or King of the Anglo-Saxons. So this is an object that comes from a time of real great change. Great estates were breaking up, the villages that we know today were being formed. Heavy duty ploughs were meaning that you could plough heavier, more fertile land. And it was a time when towns were starting to form as trading centres. So it's one of those centuries that really sees a shift towards the world that we eventually know today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects. Why not seek out some of our other episodes where we talk about everything from gunslingers to grandfather clocks? 